Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. June 6, 2019, Gino Bacola here on the Mike Abadir Show. Let me introduce you to the main man, Mike Abadir, coming up on Belmont Week. Mikey, how is everything going? Everything's going well, man. I love the Belmont. It's probably my favorite of the three races just because uh, it's the one most likely to have a new shooter that somebody didn't think about give us that long shot that we all love. So kind of hoping to hear some excitement picks wise from you and andrew a little bit later on in the show let's talk uh before we get into any specifics i i know you had a couple plugs or, or uh, something yeah. you wanted to mention right off the top go ahead get into yeah it. so i suspect that a lot of today's listeners are going to be horse racing fans especially the ones that are tuning in to hear uh gino andrew myself talk a little bit about the belmont stakes weekend and so we've got an event i've talked about it before gino with uh, you with dave weaver on the air and that is the Sam Thompson Memorial Foundation. It's I went a, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a it's an organization that was set up after obviously Sam Thompson, who was a great quarter horse rider at Los Alamitos, passed away in action at Los Al on a racing night. And uh, in his honor, a foundation has been set up to raise awareness to the issues that jockeys have to contend with health wise, and it's a very dangerous sport, as everybody knows. And a lot of these injured jockeys don't get the support that they need financially to be able to get through. It's not like the NFL or the NBA or MLB where the union kind of has negotiated for them if they're injured on the job type thing. It's a little bit different, right? Because nobody's committed necessarily to any one racetrack or any one owner or any one trainer. So everybody kind of passes the buck around. And bottom line is it's inadequate. The insurance is inadequate. And especially those who have severe injuries like paralysis or things of that nature, they don't have their medical bills covered and it pretty much decimates them. So we're looking to raise awareness and raise money that goes all towards the injured jockeys uh, and as well as horsemen, horsewomen in the racetrack community. So with all that said, hopefully everybody wasn't put to sleep with that, but we're having a an annual golf tournament. We do it every year. And this year it's at Glendora Country Club. So anybody here in Southern California, please come by. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's going to be athletes and, you know, local celebs. Uh, but from the racing community, we already have confirmed Corey Nakatani, Peter Erton, Keith Craigmile, Chuck Treese, Doug O'Neill, Van Boulevard, as well as the TVG guys like Dave Weaver and Caleb Keller, Joaquin Jaime. And I believe that Mike Smith had texted me letting me know that he's going to stop by. He, he can't golf, but he will definitely um, – have some good stories, and he's he just a great have, guy to be around. He might have just won the the Belmont on Bourbon War. When yeah, talking, when you're very well. Him. Yeah, he might be coming back. Uh, actually, Dave is in New York. Dave's right now. in New York. Yeah, yeah. So he sent me, texted me a pic from there, and said they're flying back in on Sunday and going straight to the event on Monday. So, please, any of the listeners, if you're not in the local area and you want to donate, I tweeted out a link where you could buy tickets to the golf tournament 
or you can make your donations through that link as well. And we'll keep tweeting it out. And I'd love to meet anybody from the Twitter community that I haven't met in person, but that I have a great respect for online. Um, and I know, Gino, uh, you, you might be stopping by. Is that uh, what I'm hearing? Yeah, I'm going to see um, see what I can do. But I'm not, I'm not too far from there, so I might be able to maneuver some things around and, and head on over for a, a little while. So great cause. Get on out there. Actually, when I was uh, when I went last time, it was when I was doing stuff with Elite Racing Network. I remember. That's right. That's uh, right. Because we that's when I was out there. So uh, funny how how quickly things change in just a few years, and, and time flies. Be- before we get in and start focusing into racing, anything else? I want to pick your brain a little bit on something that happened over the weekend because I know sure. you are a, a little bit of a, a boxing fan, and we had a pretty. We talked some Deontay Wilder a few weeks ago. I've started to get a little bit more into boxing, I guess, just the last couple months in particular. It's like anything, right? You you watch a fight, you kind of get a little peaked, your interest gets peaked, and then you kind of you, you look some things up, you start doing some research on your own, and then you start getting into it. And so now I'm a little bit into the whole heavyweight division with Anthony Joshua, with Wilder, with Fury, and now we have a new shooter. And... What's interesting about this, Mike, and for those who don't know, there was a big upset over the weekend in boxing. The heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua, who has four title belts and who was basically ranked by different publications as one of the top three boxers in the world, he got knocked out. He was a huge, huge favorite, heavy favorite. He's undefeated. He is the number one draw in all of boxing, whether or not you think he, Wilder or Fury is better. He's the one that has been kind of the big money fighter because of the the audience that he has from the UK and because he's he's a really good looking. He he looks like if you were to create and chisel a boxer, it it would be Anthony Joshua. Exactly right. And yeah, it, w- it was a stunning upset, 7th round stoppage, upset win. And you know, something I didn't know, he became the very first Mexican heavyweight champion. That's crazy. I, I, it's, it's, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, none before? You know, obviously in the other weight classes, they've been very dominant. It's always fun to have a great Mexican boxer that's out there. Obviously, in, in most recent memory, Oscar De La Hoya was the guy. But I mean, over the years, there's been so many incredible right. Mexican boxers. And especially but, for us in the U, in, in uh, SoCal. Sure. Like where we are is that when there's a good Mexican boxer here, the the whole like the Latino community because we're right here, they just embrace, oh, you know, yeah. and they and they go all in. So it's the, the thing that it, uh, about this is he he was he fought on April the twentieth, Ruiz. He had just fought literally a month before, and the only reason why he was put into this match was because the, the guy who's supposed to fight. Joshua failed a PE, failed a drug test. Mm-hmm. And so they needed somebody. They, they already had sold all of these tickets to Barclays and they had already had all of these people from that are fans of Joshua from the UK that, that were, you know, tens, 10,000 that had bought tickets to come over. They didn't want to cancel all that. So they're just looking for somebody to fill in. And you know what, Mike, this guy is no slouch that that's what they found out with, with Ruiz. I mean, it wasn't like you're pulling somebody who's like, 15 and 10 with a couple knockouts. This guy is 33 and 1 with 22 knockouts. I mean, he's a legit. And when you watch his hands, he has some of the fastest hands you see. Like, people, I think, get a little bit uh, caught up in the whole, yeah, he's a big fat guy. 
Let's be honest, right? Like, he, he'll say it. He's a big, chubby, out-of-shape guy. So when he takes his shirt off, he doesn't look like what you expect a heavyweight champion to look like. <laughs> Not yeah, at all. Kind of like George Foreman in his later years was kind of like that. Yeah. You know? He had a little flab, a little bit, little bit extra weight to, to pack with his punches, and, and, you know? And Ruiz almost just embraces it, though, which is why I like him even more. He's just like, hey, this is me. This is me. I got my hands. You know, and I everything I heard and, and I've, I've read about him now since then, I love it because if you're in Ruiz's spot, you have to go for this, right? You take a sh- if you get the opportunity to go and fight the heavyweight champion, even on a month notice, you go do it because just like what we saw with Ruiz right here, this was a total win-win situation for him. He had absolutely nothing to lose. Joshua got his butt kicked. Now his whole reputation has changed quite a bit, and. I mean, he was obviously concussed. I don't know if you saw the fight or if you saw after the fight. He was smiling and laughing and, like, trying to take the microphone away from the, the guy who was interviewing Ruiz in the ring. He was really obviously, like, loopy and, and concussed. Yeah. I, no, I, when, I did not get a chance to see the fight live. Um, I was actually up in the Bay Area for an event. Um and I, I still am looking forward to watching it from beginning to end. So I've only seen the highlights and, and read about it. But um, you're pretty spot on with everything that you're saying, especially the fact that he's not a slouch. He's a guy that definitely should be respected. And I don't know how long his reign will be, but it's pretty exciting stuff nonetheless. Upsets are just great in general in any sport. And it seems like boxing has had like a you know nice nice couple of months, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a little rejuvenation, a little mainstream. I, th- I think a lot of it started with that Wilder Fury fight because that was a really good fight. And we haven't seen a lot of really good knockdown drag out fights. And I, I was actually listening to Freddie Prince Jr. just a few minutes ago. He was on uh, ESPN LA 710. And he made a good point. And he said, you know, Joshua got this big reputation for beating Klitschko, and they were always thought of as kind of weak heavyweight champions to begin with. You know, so he kind of had a little bit of an inflated reputation, and now with all the jabs between Wilder and Joshua and Fury, and then now with Ruiz, just kind of the the Mexican aspect of all of this, it kind of gives you four heavyweights that we know now, which I think is very good for boxing, because I'd love to see a sort of round robin or of these four as many fights as we can because no matter what Ruiz is, is Ruiz even if he gets knocked out in the first round in any of these fights he's actually a fun fight to watch because of his style of fighting he could just quickly knock you out with the way he throws blows so I'm I'm very excited I I'm a Wilder fan uh so I, I'm I'm th- I think of all of them he's the best I think he's improving and he's getting a little bit better and actually learning how to box instead of just throwing knockout blows. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped. They have fights set up now. So the way it looks is it will be Fury will be fighting on the 15th. He has a fight, and then Wilder has a fight set up in September. And then after those fights, it's supposed to be Wilder and Fury in another rematch. Yeah. Now, real quickly, I want to kind of piggyback off what you're talking about with the Mexican fighters real fast. So... At one point, I was very into boxing, and I got to experience the Mexican experience from both perspectives. So there was a uh, title fight between Oscar De La Hoya and the Puerto Rican champion, John John Molina. And I believe this was in, I don't know, probably 92-ish, okay? And it went all 12, and it was a uh, just a fantastic fight, and it was a unanimous decision for Oscar De La Hoya. 
the Mexican community at the MGM where the fight was held was out full force. And it was one of the funnest things I've ever been a part of in terms of a live sporting event. It was loud. It was energetic. And it was, there was a lot of pride. Okay. Then in 1996, I didn't go to the event live, but I went with a buddy of mine who was from Mexico. We went down to Tijuana. Um, he actually went to high school in Tijuana for Oscar De La Hoya versus Julio Cesar Chavez, number one, because they faced they, there was one and two. They faced each other twice in a two year span. This was the first time. It was 1996. It was for the WBC Super Lightweight, and the crowd was so anti Oscar De La Hoya. It was crazy. It was kind of like Julio Cesar Chavez yeah. is more Mexican than Oscar than De La Hoya. Is. Yeah, because he was so always thought of very like whitewashed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And very I heard, I learned some new Spanish cuss words that I can't. Re- I wouldn't even repeat them in Spanish on the air uh, about what how they were referring to De La Hoya. But let's just say it was kind of more on the pretty boyish kind of side of things, and and so awesome. on and so forth. But that was also a lot of fun. Unfortunately, that fight was stopped in the fourth round with De La Hoya winning because Chavez had a huge, huge gash over his eye and it was just blood everywhere. And so they had to stop the fight. Um, But yeah, man, these are the great memories for me when it comes to boxing and and the Mexican champions. But it's never been in the heavyweight division. So congrats to him, man. Yeah, De La Hoya comes, uh, he goes out and parties in Pasadena a lot. I, I see him, I've, I've, maybe like five, ten years ago when I used to go out a little bit more in the evening to some of my mm-hmm. buddies. He's uh, he's out there quite a bit, quite a bit partying. Let's just say that. He loves, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of had some partying issues, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also done really well as a promoter. Uh, oh, yeah, he's a, a great, he's a great, promoter, he's a great promoter, great fighter. I mean, the one thing I love about Oscar, about Oscar and that, which we, we, that's kind of the knock on boxing right now is that, mm-hmm. and he never ducked anyone. He'd no. fight. He didn't, he didn't matter who you were. He would fight you. He, you know, the, he, he wanted all the big fights. And that, oh, that's, yeah. what, that's what we want to see in, in, in fighting, you know, in, in any sport, you want to see oh, yeah. the best fight, the best, you know, at, at the best. So, yeah, and, that, and, and, and it's great. I think a, I think our producer, a rod has some, is a, is a boxing enthusiast because he was talking smack on, uh, on Anthony Joshua, which I mean, Hard not to. He that was a, <laughs> that, that was a, a, a really weak performance from him there, he, oh, and I just don't that, like the way he handled it. No, that was the worst performance ever. He, he like, come on, man! All this training and everything, and you, you you didn't even seem ready. Like he walked in just all nice, calm, like thinking he had this in the bag. Like it seemed to him like he just didn't want to train or do anything at all. Like you know, it just like he was just doing everything for the cameras, and, you know, for for the press and all that stuff. But when it came down to the fight, like he was just. He was just walking around. He wasn't even trying to block. He wasn't even trying to play defense whatsoever or anything. He just he just basically let it happen, and because of that, he lost now his title. And it's just like, come on, man. His All demeanor, this work, everything yeah. you have behind you, and you're just going to lose it like that? Like, really, dude? Like, come on, man. I, I agree. The demeanor was the thing that was weird to me. Even, even, like, before the fight or even after losing, I know he's a very nice guy, and he, he's thought of as a gentleman, but... When you get in the ring and it's game time, you, you got to turn that switch a little bit to be a little bit more of a competitor. And I just didn't see that from him all throughout the fight. Because just as you mentioned, very lackadaisical. And then after, he just got his butt kicked and he I think he was just loopy because he was still smiling and laughing about it and not acting like like he was pissed off at all that he just lost. Yeah, no, it, it just it just felt like, you know, he was just like, all right, I'm just going to show up there in the ring, but not try anything whatsoever to keep like everything else he had. It's just. He just wasn't doing anything, and it's just like like that fight was just in the bag for him, and he just he just gave it away, and it just really like come on, man, you got when you show up, you got to show up. Like it, it was, was funny because there was a meme where like they have him getting knocked out, 
and his soul's leaving already off on the airplane, already gone <laughs> back to Britain before, <laughs> before they even like said declared the actual fight. It was pretty funny. It was uh, as we were saying, Mike. It was like when when you know Rocky wins the heavyweight title before he fights Clubber Lang and the the famous Mick. You know, Rocky's like, Mick, I beat them all. They was bums, Rock. They was bums. You know, and that, <laughs> that's, what, that's what it felt like the last couple of years with a lot of these heavyweights. So uh, good stuff, A-Rod. Hopefully we can see these big heavyweights face each other in the next couple of years. Because now I'm interested. I think f- more people on the mainstream know Ruiz. And I think no matter what, that's it's only good for boxing, even if some of these guys might have lost out on hundreds of millions from the, from the big undefeated possible fights. So good to, good to have some boxing talk. On the convo yeah, here. No, no, nah, man. Nice to have uh, A-Rod chime in. Yeah. You know? Awesome. So good stuff there, man. So um, we're about just a minute away from our Why don't we break. take your commercial break yeah, now? Yeah, good timing. Let's take it now. We'll come back, and we have horse racing. We'll jump into baseball. We have Andrew coming in a little bit to talk Belmont and Eno Saris. So good guests still to come. Don't go anywhere. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on Belmont Week, this is the Mike Abadir Show. And NBA Finals, uh, 
Lots, lots of injuries. We'll just get a quick hit on this one because I know we have a guest. Eno Saris is going to be joining us in, in just a minute, Mike. The series now is two games to one, Toronto over Golden State. And Golden State is just banged up. And, and what we're seeing right now is it doesn't matter how good you are, it, it, when you're in the final like this and you're missing some key contributors, you're just not going to be able to win and, and you're not going to be able to fire on all cylinders. That's, that's what's happening from Golden State. We got 47 points from Steph Curry, but still couldn't win because no Clay, no Durant, no Looney. You got a banged up Iguodala. They don't have a ton of depth right now. Well, the funny thing is, you know, last week, you know, there was talk, of course, of, you know, sweep. Is this a good finals? Is it not a good finals? Uh, is it going to be, you know, a boring one? Um, the thing is this. Golden State is in trouble from this regard. Obviously, Toronto has reclaimed home field advantage, but that's not a big issue for the Warriors because they can win on the road. I think the real problem is when you're talking about anything relating to the muscle, you're when they come back, they're not going to be at 100%. No. Right. So now, um, obviously, if, you know, if the two big guys are back, is that an automatic win for the Warriors? If they're healthy, you know, they 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 can come back and win three out of four. But if they're at 70 percent, I don't know, man. I think the Warriors are they have cause for concern well, this is what at the very least. When you build a team, it, there's different ways to build a team in any sport and to, to you know, to, to fill out your roster. But when you have four or five top level all-star type players at the top, you'll never be able to have solid 10th, 11th and 12th players on your bench. It just can't work out that way. No, I mean, and that's kind of what they sacrificed when they went for Durant, right? That was the year that they lost a lot of their depth. That, that was, uh, very underrated for the Warriors. It helped them in the early years of this uh, of this run. Well, even even little like you're telling me they couldn't use 15 minutes from Javale McGee right now. Yeah, they yeah. would they would love to to get just extra bodies in there, but that's what happens when you're so so top heavy. So that's one thing as a Laker fan, we'll see how they try to fill out their roster because if they make a move and go out and get you know Anthony Davis or another star, then you have two or three stars. But how do you fill out the other seven or eight spots? That that's always what's what's difficult. So we'll we'll table this conversation for a minute and we'll shift. Yeah, the but focus. well, you know who's a Bay Area guy? Oh, Our yeah. next guest. Let's ask. I wonder if he has any thoughts on the uh, on the final. Go yeah, ahead, introduce. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if he's a Warriors fan or not. And we're obviously talking about Eno Siris from the Athletic MLB. Anybody who's been listening to us for a while now knows that we get a lot of guests from the Athletic. But there is no one who is the master and guru of analytics like Eno Siris. Eno, what's the good word, my man. How are you? Hey, you know. Hey, yeah. You know what? Actually, my my favorite, you know, exercise activity is basketball. Like I love basketball. I watch it. It's my second sport after baseball, and uh, definitely, definitely concerned with all the injuries. And I think you're right to talk about what they're going to be like when they come back. Clay Thompson is a master shutdown artist defensively. That's what they need him for almost as much as his three-pointers, and, you know, if he can't stay in front of uh, Kawhi or, or Pascal Siakam, then, you know, what what, what does that mean? Uh, and then I also just felt like they were just lacking bodies. Like, yeah, JaVale McGee is a great name. I mean, you're just, you're just counting on so much from Quinn Cook, you know? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I also love the Toronto Raptors, actually. 
because you can love someone from another, you know, the East, you know, you can kind of follow another team. And or so, another country, right? I, they're, from, they're not from the U.S. You can like them. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. So I, 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 I'm excited. They're built differently. I think you were good to point that out, too. They're built differently in that I don't think they depend as much on one person, per se. But um, at the same time, uh, I was happy for a second, like, oh, this is going to go seven, and that's, that's more exciting. And then I thought, Wait, is it going to go seven? <laughs> um, so I think the confidence of everybody in the Bay Area is shook a little bit right now. You know, with Durant not playing the next game and Clay up in the air, I think we're we're uh, we're. I think Clay's probably going to force himself onto the roster. He's kind of wanted to do that for this last game. Uh, that gives them a shot in a home game with Clay in there. Uh, but they need they need Durant back too. And they also have a little bit of unexpected trouble, right? With I guess uh, during last night's game, one of the uh, Warriors investors, Mark Stevens, gave uh, okay. Lowry a little shove. Kyle Lowry? What was that all about? <laughs> USC Trojan alumni, too, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's something yeah. else, man. So I guess they just, gave, they Dude, just handed just think- down a uh, one-year suspension for him or something like that. One-year ban. I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. One-year ban and $500,000. You know, that's a... People were saying that's not a, that's not a lot. I think that's a pretty significant ban, especially for a guy who's part owner who probably thinks that he's allowed to be everywhere he wants to be. Yeah, and sure. I think that's probably the root of the problem here is that this guy thought, you know, I'm a part owner. I, I'm part of the team. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm you know I'm I'm competing with these guys and this guy's in my face or whatever. But you know that that sort of entitlement has no place. And you with basketball, especially with how close you are to the players. You really have to respect the boundaries there, uh, and if you don't, then everybody else knows that you that you get thrown out. Sure, I mean I think it's got to go both ways, right? We don't like it when we see um, you know anybody from the stands going onto a field or throwing you know whether it be bottled waters or whatever the case may be, uh, outfielders or in the middle of a football or soccer game, um, and it's got to go both. It's, it's got to go both ways, even if you're an owner of a team with one of the players of the opposing team. So, yeah, interesting scenario. I don't remember ever seeing anything quite like this. But let's shift the uh, focus back to um, what we're here to talk about, which is baseball. A um, lot of directions that we can go. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, you know, is is kind of a twofold thing, and they stem out of the same transaction but they're kind of different thoughts and that's with Kimbrel. so the first question really is going to be is this the final missing piece that uh you know really completes the cubs they they kind of got off to a rough uh uh start but they've really really turned it on since uh you know that first three weeks of the season are they now going to be along with the dodgers the team to be and then the second part really has more to do with the the, the way that free agency is set up I don't remember a time where MLB draft picks were so cherished like yeah. they are today. Was it really that draft pick that caused this delay when it comes to Kimbrel and Keuchel? It must have been a combination of their demands plus the extra cost draft picks. Uh, you know, for a team that's over the the luxury tax is not only draft picks, it's you can't spend a certain amount of money. You get docked money for the international market. There's, there's all sorts of non-monetary, you know, things that come up when, when you sign someone and you're over the cap. So there was some of that 
Uh, I do think that they kind of maybe misread the market. The market in general was down. Um, and then I think on the other side, I, I, I'm a little disappointed in teams that they didn't come to the table. I mean, $45 million, $43 million for three years of Craig Kimmel's, you know, it's, uh, it's not a lot of money. You know, in terms of, you know, what Wade Davis got from the Rockies, what Roldis Chapman got from the Yankees, this is a, a, a top three, five, you know, top three reliever in the game. He has the, he has the strikeout, he has the strikeout percentage record of all time. He owns, Craig Kimbrell owns it. And for people who want to say he fell off, he, the strikeout record of all time is 41%. That's him. He was, he threw, he, he struck out 39% last year. So he's not that far from his peak. And I think people who are throwing shade on him are, are just, uh, contributing to this idea that teams are just not spending and are pocketing the money from TV. And I, I think the Twins should have been in on it for this cost. Uh, and I think there should be more, many more teams in on it in the offseason. And so, I can't and believe how about, like, no how about the Braves? The table. Yeah, I mean, how about even the Braves? Well, the, I mean... Braves, the Braves, I think, are, the, are like the, the, the worst because not only is this homecoming story and an obvious need in the, in the bullpen, but it's, it's just terrible that they're owned by a a, a Liberty Mutual, like a Liberty, they're owned by a, a company that is basically just trying to extract as much as possible. I mean, they 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 could definitely have signed Kimbrel. They definitely have the money in in this, but they just want to extract as many profits as, out of that team as possible. So, um, you know, and then, you know, the, the fact that the Rays were the second team that were in there, I think the only reason the Rays were second was because they said, "Whoa, Kimbrel is how cheap." Man, that's so cheap. We can get in on this. So you know, I think it, I think the whole process was weird. For the Cubs, definitely they they have a, a bottom third uh, bullpen ERA. It was definitely a problem for them. Brandon Morrow can't seem to get healthy, and all the guys they tried after Brandon Morrow just kind of either got hurt or uh, didn't quite get the job done. So throwing Kimball in there means that when Morrow does come back eventually then you might actually have a real strength in the back of the bullpen. Um, and they've always had a great lineup, so it's really been a question about how good their pitching can be. Um, I just think this makes the, the Central in even more of a bloodbath. And it's going to be the Cardinals, uh, the Cubs, and the Brewers, and somebody's going to come out of there with 90 wins, and it's going to be tight all the way to the end. There are two teams in particular that have not had very good starts to the season, and I'm kind of curious based on their record and and how the next maybe month or so goes if if these teams become sellers with with some big pieces and these two teams I'm talking about are the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Nationals now the Nationals have won four in a row and they're slightly turning things around they're not so far out of it that you know they're only six back right now whereas the Indians they're 10 games behind the Twins right now do you think or or how do you see it, uh, playing out for these two teams who both could have really big pieces that could be, you know, pieces that could swing things for a team that was like on the fringe looking to make a playoff run. You know, the Nationals are among the two or three teams that have the biggest difference between their projected uh, record going forward and their record in the past. So they're definitely a team. Them and the Red Sox are a team that are probably about to get it going. Um, you know, if, if all the players on their roster play to their, their potential. And, you know, over at Fangraphs, they have this playoff odds percentage, and it basically 
takes a look at the schedule, the quality of the team, uh, the quality of the opponents, uh, their, their current record, and it gives you a percentage likelihood to make the playoffs. For the Indians and the Nationals, uh, the Nationals have a 46% chance to make the playoffs still. And I think that's because the Central is going to be such a bloodbath that, uh, you know, they may not create a wild card. So, uh, you know, everybody in the National League is in it for the, for the wild card, basically. If you've got the Nationals, Phillies, Mets, they all have a percentage uh, likelihood of making the playoffs uh, over 20%. The Brewers, the Cardinals, even the Rockies. So, uh, you know, I think the National League is wide open. The Nationals are not going to sell. They're going to try and get healthy at the right moment and, and make the playoffs by wild card and see if it goes better for them than it has in the past. The Indians, they'd rather not make it on the wild card, but all they have to do is basically beat out the Rays of the Red Sox. You know, that's, that's, what they're, that's what they're looking to do, and they're, you know, basically two games behind the Red Sox right now. So I actually don't think either of those teams are going to sell, and in terms of who is going to sell, you know, I think it's all the teams that we know about, and I don't think there's going to be that many sellers. You know, I want to talk to you for a quick second about the uh, rookies from uh, this year's class because, you know, I could just throw out really quickly a few names, you know, like Michael Chavis from the Red Sox or uh, Peter Alonzo from the Mets or uh, the kid that's tearing it up down in Atlanta. And I could go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. There's a, Atlanta's got a few young players that are really, really good. And I'd be leaving off probably another eight to ten guys who are superb. Who are some of the guys that have really impressed you up until this point from the rookie crop? You know, I think uh, it's, uh, yeah, Peter Alonzo, Austin Riley, Malik, uh, Michael Chavis. They've all been uh, really, really uh, good right off the bat. And uh, not to mention on the pitching side, I think maybe my my favorite uh, rookie might be Chris Paddock, the yeah. the rookie, in, or Mike Soroka. Oh, man, it's, there's so many. Um, I do really like Chris Paddock. I think that he's got great strikeout ability, great changeup, uh, great command, good velocity. Uh, you know, he's really exciting to watch. Soroka's really exciting. I think on the hitting side, uh, I kind of like Peter Alonso the best. I just think that um, he just hits the ball so hard, and I do think that, you know, when it comes to combining the ability to make contact and to have good plate discipline, he's a little bit further ahead uh, than Michael Chavis and Austin Riley, who both strike out more often uh, than Peter Alonzo. So uh, Peter Alonzo and Chris Paddock, and that's funny because they had a little brouhaha where Peter Alonzo won Rookie of the Month, and Chris Paddock said he wanted it, and so he struck out Peter Alonzo on harder fastballs than he'd thrown all year. So I think it's going to come down to Peter Alonzo and Chris Paddock. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and, and Peter Alonzo, yeah, by the why, way, that's why they were, I didn't realize this until I saw the stat. Daryl Strawberry holds the all-time Mets rookie record with 29 home runs. Alonzo's already at 24, so he may top, he will, I mean, if he stays healthy, he's going to topple uh, the straw man. So that's kind of exciting stuff. Um, yeah, a lot, lot to talk about with rookies. You wrote a piece the other day about Ryu with the Dodgers, how good has he been? And I know Gino will like this part of the conversation because he's a big Dodger fan. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's amazing because he's doing it at 90 miles an hour. And, you know, in today's league, the number one predictor of, of success for a pitcher is usually velocity. 
the average velocity has gone up from 89 like five years ago to 93 this year. So everyone's throwing harder and, you know, Ryu's out there just throwing five pitches with command in any count uh, and just trying to befuddle, befuddle the hitters. So I think it's really fun to watch him. Let's stick with the Dodgers for a minute. Is they're they're playing you know awesome ball right now. But as a Dodger fan, you have to kind of think moving forward and and how to set your team up best after back to back years where you you were uh, disappointing in the World Series. When I'm looking at this Dodger bullpen, I, I kind of scratch my head a little bit because you know pe- people are saying the Dodgers need need bullpen. But when you look at the the players that they have set up in their bullpen from the top. With Kenley, you went out and spent money on Joe Kelly. He hasn't executed yet. And then you were able to move Urias and Stripling into the bullpen. And then you have another piece like Pedro Baez, who last year was you know, probably the Dodgers' best reliever. It's tough for me because what do you do when you have the players that just aren't executing? I mean, those five guys, that should be five arms in the bullpen right there that the Dodgers should be able to trust. Yeah, Kelly just can't really seem to command most of his pitches, and so he ends up throwing a lot of them down Broad Street, and even at, you know, 95, 96, if you, if you can't hit your spots, you know, hitters can hit you. So that's a bit of a problem for, for Kelly. The home run bug has especially hit him hard. Um, I think this has always been the plan, though, for the Dodgers, is that they have amassed, you know, 10 starting pitchers that they move in and off the DL, into the bullpen, and into the rotation, and they just kind of, you know, make it through the year on the strength of the starting pitching. And then they have guys like Kenta Maida, who's, you know, Maida is going to be the, the, the starter for most of the year, but then he'll also end up relieving, uh, usually when it comes to September and October, and he becomes an asset for them out of the, out of the, uh, out of the pen. So, I, you know, I, I think this is what they normally do, uh, but I also think that if they want to win the World Series this year, I think that it might behoove them to go and really go get, even if it's like, you know, just a trade for guys on an expiring deal or whatever, go get another lockdown reliever uh, for the, the final innings. Because if you could pair Jansen with somebody, you know, and really have a two-headed monster back there, uh, I think that would, that would do well for October. Good stuff. You know, well, we uh, every time we bring you on, these segments seem to fly by faster and faster. Definitely appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day talking baseball and Warriors and Raptors with us. And um, <laughs> I would highly recommend to f- for all of our listeners to follow Eno. He's a great follow on Twitter, at Eno Saris, two R's in there. And definitely check out his work on The Athletic, any sports fan by now should be a subscriber. If not, they always have great deals and you can see Eno and many other great writers work. Eno, thank you so much, man. Thanks, My man I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. Let's take our last commercial break, Gino, and we'll be back to talk Belmont stakes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel do you love sports talk can't get enough sports talk have we got a show for you it's about the nfl training camps super bowl previews a look at the new starting quarterbacks and weekly key injuries we'll take your calls and emails right on the air former philadelphia eagle james loving is your host and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Oh, Andrew Champagne going to be joining us in just a moment, Mike. So a big thank you to Eno Saris. Eno's great. Best of luck uh, to the, the Warriors. We were able to talk a little basketball and some baseball there with Eno. But, Mike, why don't you introduce our final guest? Yeah, the man himself. I think this is, what, number seven or eight times on the show, something like that? I think Andrew Champagne, right. currently with the pink sheet, always a great handicapper, an even better writer, and a fantastic radio interview. Andrew, what's going on, my hey, man? Hey, buddy. Well, now you're just sucking up, and that's a heck of an introduction. Hopefully, I can meet the expectations of everyone out there on Radio Land. Now, on a serious note, always happy to, to talk shop with you guys, especially ahead of a really good card on Saturday at Belmont. Yeah, now, hey, not to read on everybody's parade real quick, but um, I've got my Twitter open and a few other things open related to the Belmont, and I'm seeing Santa Anita as a trending topic, and when I see it, my eyes just cringe because I know what I'm going to see. Anybody know what happened? Um, yeah, I guess there was an incident in training either this morning or yesterday morning. I've been in work all day. I haven't had a chance to really immerse myself in what happened, but there's been a number of outlets that have posted stories on that. That much I know for sure. Again, I'm not in a situation to really comment on a whole heck of a lot. I saw that it was trending as well, and I'd seen that there were a couple of stories that there was another equine fatality down there. Uh, but other than that, I've got next to no idea as to what's going on. Yeah, I mean, at what point, guys, does the week. Breeders' Cup move? 
I mean, Good question. I mean, it's a case where, again, you know, first and foremost, you hope for the safety of all athletes, human and equine. Hopefully there's some sort of uh, development there. And to be fair, over the past couple of months, Santa Anita's measures that they've put in have curbed the rate of fatalities down there. But it's just it's been a really ugly winter and spring down there for a lot of people, including a lot of people that are you know, obviously huge figures in the horse racing industry, and that's not even taking into account the battles between members of the Stronach family. So hopefully everything sorts itself out in due time, for sure. Big weekend coming up with the the Belmont, and in a year like this when we don't have, you know, a a horse going for a Triple Crown or we don't have the, the Derby winner against the Preakness winner, we do have an incredible undercard too, Andrew. I think the Met Mile is probably one of the deeper races we've seen in the last couple of years. I think that that might even be including some Breeders' Cup races. It's just an excellent, excellent race. So I guess maybe let's start there. Let's hit the Met Mile and then we'll go to the Belmont. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. It feels like, you know, something you and I talked about just a week or two ago. We had Vino Rosso come out to, to Southern California and win a, a grade one race. And then all of a sudden he's being talked about like one of the better older horses in training. I think people might've forgot about a couple horses that are in this group because this is a salty group here in the, in the Met mile. I'm going to make a bold prediction. And I realize that we're four and a half, five months out from the breeders cup right now. I think this is that the dirt mile is a better race than the classic from a talent perspective. I think we're seeing a lot of horses, are incredibly talented that want the mile trip as yep. opposed to going a mile and a quarter. Because if you look at the mile and a quarter horses out there, it's slim pickings across the country. You have gift boxes, a very good story going west and finding new form with John Sadler. You have Zeno Rosso, who I've always been fairly high on going back to his days, late in his three-year-old season, early in his three-year-old season. But as far as established four-year-olds go, Pickings are pretty slim. Then you look at a race like the Met Mile, a $1.2 million purse that has drawn some of the best older horses in training, not just in the United States, but from around the world with Thunder Snow coming to town for this one. It's a tremendous race, and you could make the argument that this is the best race on the card. Plus, if one of the logical horses winds up winning this race, I personally think that horse might be in the driver's seat for horse of the year, given the lack of top-tier talent in the handicapped division this year. So there's a lot on the line and a lot of very good horses lining up for this race. Let's uh, let's jump into the field, too. I think you probably, you mentioned Thunder Snow. That's not a typo when you're looking at Thunder Snow's career earnings, over $16 million. And what's what's so cool about a horse like this, Andrew, is... You know, just look at how well-traveled he is. In his last eight races on the dirt, he's been in the Dubai World Cup twice, which he's won twice. He was third in the Breeders' Cup Classic. He was second in the Jockey Club Gold Club. We're talking about the the who's who of prestigious races in the world. And, and you have McKinsey, who is, is right on that list with, you know, the, the best older horses we have. But the, the mile and a quarter, just a little bit too far for him. Where do you start in, in the Met Mile? Well, from what I have seen over the past several years since moving to California about five and a half years ago, when Bob Baffert works backwards towards a race and lands on it, that horse is usually very difficult to beat. And that's the case with McKinsey. The Met Mile has been the target for this horse all along. 
Bob Baffert could have shipped that horse over to Dubai. He did not. He kept the horse in America, ran him in the Santa Anita handicap, which was a mile and a quarter, probably about, oh, 10, 20 feet too far for McKinsey. But they shortened him up to a mile and a sixteenth of the Great Two Alley Fiba, and he was incredibly impressive over a good field. Tom's Detail was second. He's a nice horse. Seeking the Soul was third. He's a very nice horse. And this is a case where I think the one-turn mile distance hits McKenzie right between the eyes. With all due respect to other horses in the field, I think McKenzie is a horse to beat. Now, there are several other horses that you might consider an overlaid price based strictly on talent. If you take a look at Matoli, all he's done over his last six races is win six times by a very clear margin. He tries a mile for the first time. If you think he can get the distance, you'll get three to one on the morning line. Thunder Snow, five to one on the morning line. If you don't think the mile is too short, that's a tremendous price on a two-time Dubai World Cup winner. And then you look towards the outside in post position number seven, you see Forenzi Fire, who's three for three at Belmont with a win in the Grade One Champagne a couple of years ago. That's a horse you can't fully discount. It is a tremendous betting race, and in my opinion, it's the race of the day at Belmont Park, with all due respect to the three-year-olds going 12 furlongs in the Belmont. Yeah, let's let's quickly get to the, the Belmont then. We have by the way, Gino, let me just uh, quickly throw up. Those horses that you, you guys are talking about are absolutely stellar, but there's... To me, there's two long shots that are worthy of a look, too, for the long shot players, whether it be on the win end or, or you know, underneath for the uh, try and super players. And that uh, and those are the number six, Promises Fulfilled, and number nine, Prince Lucky. Yeah. And that might be a little bit outclassed, but I think uh, I think there's enough there to warrant consideration. Well, you get with, with Promises Fulfilled, you'll get you'll get the speed. You'll get a horse who's probably going to be on mm-hmm. the lead. He was in front of right there with Matoli battling. So it'll be how far can he go? And remember, yep. he actually does have a win going a mile and a 16th in the fountain of youth earlier on in his career. And then Prince Lucky, I have Prince Lucky picked third in this spot. I mean, you just put a line through the sloppy race last time out. He sure. quip and then quip came back to win the Oaklawn handicap. He's been very, very impressive. So I completely agree with you, Mike, so many different directions to go. As Andrew had said, just a top, top tier race. I think we have about four, five minutes left to, to get to the Belmont, Andrew. So let's jump over there right now. We will, I guess, start with War of Will, who's the only horse that's running in all three jewels of the Triple Crown this year. And he's a very, very talented horse. I think he deserves to be talked about right with the top of this division. But as we've seen, I think with the Colts and the three and the Phillies this year, the three-year-olds division's maybe not that strong. So how do we approach the Belmont? For me personally, with the Belmont, it's a matter of two things. It's a matter of reading, and it's a matter of the pace situation. I always look for horses that are bred to, if nothing else, not hate the 12 furlong distance. You can have a horse that's bred top to bottom for class, but not a lot of these horses are bred to go 12 furlongs anymore. That's just a fact of life right now. So there are a couple of horses in this field that I think want every bit of this distance, and you're going to get a price on these horses. Specifically, I'm looking at number four, Tax, and number eight, Intrepid Heart. Tax, the Kentucky Derby, not a spectacular race for him, but he broke towards the inside, got shuffled back, did not get his preferred stalking trip that day. I think that race is a throwout over the sloppy track, which, by the way, he was running over a wet track for the first time. The Ryder Tees Jr. rides here for Danny Gargan. He's by Arch and out of a Giants Causeway mare. That's distance top and bottom. 
I think 15 to 1 is a very nice price on a horse that might be forwardly placed in a pretty slow race early on. Meanwhile, Intrepid Hurt gets blinkers for Todd Pletcher, who has won the Belmont several times. Yes, he is lightly raced, but if you look at that pedigree, it screams Belmont distance top and bottom. He is by Tappet and out of the touch gold mare. Touch Gold was the horse that ran down Silver Charm back when that one was going for the Triple Crown. So there's distance top and bottom there. Johnny Velasquez and Todd Fletcher teaming up. That's always a dangerous combination. And you'll get double the odds. I respect the rule of will. I respect Tacitus as well, who's actually the morning line favorite. But I think you need to use both Tax and Intrepid Hurt, especially if you're looking to try to get a price home. Andrew Champagne. Um, talking here just about a minute or two left talking Belmont stakes on Saturday, Belmont to go as race number 11 on Saturday at Belmont park. So for tax for intrepid heart, respect to war of will respect to Tacitus. And, you know, when we look at, at some of the others in here, Andrew, I was, you know, ever fast. I'm a little bit of against Jovia. I'm a little bit of against what are th- there are two horse in particular. Just give me quick thoughts on, Bourbon War and Spinoff. I don't have strong feelings on either of them, and I liked Bourbon War a lot in the Preakness. I thought that was a pretty disappointing effort. Mark Hennig has been a little bit on the cold side of late. He started off the year guns blazing at Gulfstream. I think now might be on a little bit of a downswing there. With Spinoff, you are getting Todd Fletcher, and you're getting boxcar odds. So I can't talk you off of that horse if you like him too much, because he is going to be a gigantic price. The only shorter price that I'm dramatically against is Master Fencer. I think he's going to be the wise guy horse and potentially take a little bit too much money. He closed pretty well in the Kentucky Derby, but that's a myth over time. Though. Oh, he closed in the Kentucky Derby. He'll love the Belmont distance. Not if they go 25 and change and 51 and change early, and I think that's a very likely scenario. So Master Fencer is a toss for me. If he beats me, I lose. Andrew Champagne. Give us uh, some plugs, buddy. Uh, AndrewChampagne.com. What else can we find you, and where else can we find you? Sure. AndrewChampagne.com is my website. Twitter is at AndrewChampagne. Last name, of course, spelled just like the drink. I'll also be back in the pink sheet this summer at Saratoga. Meet coming up in just a little over a month. Remember, they're starting a couple of weeks earlier this year and going to a five-day week. The Twitter there is at the pink sheet, and you can pick up a pink sheet if you're in Saratoga Springs at all this summer. Andrew Champagne, thank you so much, buddy. Good luck this weekend. We'll be chatting very soon. Uh, enjoy you, the uh, WWE Super Showdown tomorrow from uh, from Saudi Arabia and have some fun, buddy. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Andrew. I will be asleep, but I'm sure I'll enjoy the replay. I'll talk to you later, guys. It's always <laughs> As always, Gino, the hour just zips by. That was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground, a lot of different sports from boxing to horse racing and baseball and basketball. It should be a great sports weekend. I'm definitely looking forward to it, buddy. Let's uh, let's make some money. Good luck, everyone. Best of luck in the Belmont. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Same time, same place. We'll see you next weekend, and hopefully we'll see you on Monday at the Sam Thompson Memorial Foundation Golf Tournament. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.